Hello and welcome to the Medjlis Podcast, Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Paneer, host of the Medjlis and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. One year ago, in the first days of January, Kazakhstan experienced the worst violence in the country's history. Peaceful protests that were increasingly calling for changes in the government had spread across the country in just 48 hours. But then violence broke out, and by the time order was restored, at least 238 people had been killed. The year since has seen many changes in Kazakhstan, but at the same time, many of the demands people were calling for in the first days of the protests have not been addressed. So what's different about Kazakhstan one year after what is referred to by some as Bloody January? To discuss all this, I'm joined by William Courtney, former U.S. Ambassador to Kazakhstan and currently an adjunct senior fellow at the Washington-based RAND Corporation, Yatislav Abramov, founder of the Vlast.kz news outlet in Kazakhstan, Igarim Tolkhanova, freelance journalist from Kazakhstan and co-host of Eurasia Net's Eurasia Chat podcast, who is currently based in Prague. Thank you all for joining me. Uh, and before looking back at what's changed over the course of the year, I want to start with what's happening in Kazakhstan now, as the one-year anniversary of the tragedy is marked. Slava, you're in Almaty. What's the mood there? You know, Bruce, it's um, it's um, it's tough to to explain in in like one two sentences because it's like it's very different from what we what we had last year, of course, but it's also very different if you will look to like different groups of people it's a lot of people who are trying to forget what happened last january and they're trying to somehow you know forget about trauma somehow to forget about some actions you know that um, that we we saw last year not only from the government but also from some people you know in in the country and outside the country we also can see a lot of people who already, you know, already not remember anything about these January events. Unfortunately for me, you know, because I do believe that as a society, we did not make two very important, you know, steps uh, to heal from, from this trauma, you know. We didn't have independent investigation we didn't have you know we didn't receive all answers etc i'm sure we will discuss it but um, because of that for part of the society and i am part of this group you know it's a very sad days and it's a lot of triggers that we we see right now in almaty you know like um, same weather same colors you know and um a lot of fireworks because it was a new year, you know, and you you hear these fireworks, you know, and you immediately remember what happened here a year ago. So it's 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 very it's very different and it's very you know complicated to just try to explain what's going on right now here. Okay, thank you um, for give, for explaining that. It was just I thought it was important to kind of set the mood here about what's going on, you know. And, and before I, I I go back again, I want to keep with with some current events because um, yesterday uh, the Kazakhstan's prosecutor general Barika Silov gave one of the most full accounts, and this is a very relative way of putting it, but one of the most full accounts to date about what exactly happened um, last year. And I'll start with Igorim. I'm sure you saw some of the news too. Did you did you see? Did we learn anything new from the prosecutor general's comments yesterday to Parliament about who was responsible, what the course of events were? So 
I will not be original if I say we didn't hear anything new uh, from uh, what Prosecutor General said yesterday. There was a statement that we can consider somehow that uh, former chief of uh, National Security Committee, Karim Masimov, can be considered as a main organizer. But still, because uh, we as society and as public uh, have not been shown any evidence or any clue as to what was really happening during these days, I'm sure a lot of people are skeptical about this. And I know that some part of society in Kazakhstan do believe uh, what authorities say, that it was somehow um, an attempted coup. Uh, some part of society uh, thinks that, like, blames everything on, uh, let's call them marginalized youth that uh, came to Almaty. Um, and another part of society is just confused. Uh, and I'm also part of this uh, society because um, all these days, um, the last couple of days, I also felt very heavy on my chest and my, in my heart because it's a very tragic uh, kind of memory. And um, we still, unfortunately, didn't even start healing from this uh, traumatic event and authorities are not really helping to open some of the wounds to process this. And I think, um, yeah, we, we, we're still a, a long way to go to understand what has happened and how we as society in Kazakhstan can process this and can reflect and redefine the future. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, Ambassador Courtney, how, how would you assess the way the, the Kazakh authorities have doled out information about this and their, their narrative about the course of events? There's times where, frankly, I'm baffled. Uh, you know, there's they, they've stuck with this element of there being a foreign influence there, possibly foreign terrorists, but at the same time, they've kind of moved over without calling it an attempted coup to showing there were figures in the government that were involved in this. I mean, what's your assessment of the way the Kazakh government has handled the information war about uh, what happened last year? Uh, Bruce, thank you. Uh, you The perception in the West is that Kazakhstan's authorities are still struggling. While they have not provided much information that really is credible. There are a number of areas where the government is struggling to make some progress, but in most areas, uh, it's not doing that. So just from a Western perspective, when we look at how the government is trying to increase its legitimacy, and, and that legitimacy, you know, frankly, is, is uh, much uh, in question. One thing that uh, President Takayev has done is trying to distance uh, Kazakhstan a bit more from Russia, and that's that's a positive uh, thing for for the legitimacy of the government, perceived legitimacy. Another issue is cleaning up corruption. Uh, there really hasn't been much progress there, although some, with regard to uh, reducing the influence of uh, Nazarbayev associates, but in a number of other areas, um, you know, a dishonest election. Uh, for the president, that's been pretty disappointing. Uh, no independent investigation of the tragedy last January, that's disappointing. Reforms, uh, Takayev has talked about reforms, but no reforms really are uh, in sight. And finally, um, any improvement in the living standards of ordinary people. That So far, there's been no sign there. So from a Western perspective, there's a lot of concern that the government uh, is still struggling more than it should be uh, at this point. 
Okay, thank you. And also thank you for opening the door to the, the meaty part of this show, so to speak, too. And, because, and I'll get back to you right away. The role of the Nazarbayev family, and everyone will get a chance to comment on this, but I'll start with you, Ambassador Courtney. The role of the Nazarbayev family. Now, the prosecutor general was questioned about this, whether uh, Nazarbayev himself might be under investigation. And he said there was nothing that wasn't happening at the time. And then when they asked a question about his nephew, Samat Abish, who was the deputy head of the uh, Security Committee, uh, the National Security Committee, um, he said that he, he wasn't even sure if he was in the country. And he wasn't, uh, he had been a witness, but he wasn't a suspect. Um, how, do you, how do you view the, the treatment of the Nazarbayev family, who really seemed to be the core of, the, of what started the protests last year? Uh, so in the West, there's a perception that the Nazarbayev family you know, stole really an enormous amount, billions and billions of dollars out of the economy. And there were reflections of this in purchases in Geneva, Switzerland, London of extraordinarily expensive uh, houses and, and apartments. So from, from Western perspective, I think the perception is that there's really no significant effort to find uh, and take assets from the Nazarbayev family that have been illegally uh, obtained. Uh, so that suggests the Nazarbayev family still you know, has, uh, and Nazarbayev himself still has a lot of influence uh, in Kazakhstan. And of course, a lot of other families that benefited financially from association with the Nazarbayevs, they too are quite uh, concerned, evidently, uh, that uh, they could be subject to some sort of uh, check on, on this. But uh, so far, the Nazarbayev uh, family and its friends and associates seem to have been protected. And so that that's a difficult issue for the government because uh, corruption, fighting corruption, is often one of the greatest sources of legitimacy in former Soviet states when it takes place. And of course, often it does not take place. Okay, thank you. And Slava, I'm going to ask you now, too. What about, you know, the role of Nazarbayev at the end of last year, the parliament actually discussed the law on the first president. And it, it looked like they were kind of moving toward toward canceling the immunity that he's guaranteed. Well, um, what are people in Kazakhstan, how do they view the, the Nazarbayev family at the moment that they seem to be untouchable for some reason? You know, Bruce, it's, it's, it's two important points uh, that I need to say before I will answer your question. Um, first, he will still have immunity according to constitution and according to the um, law on, on the president of, the, of, of Kazakhstan, not law on the first president because it was a special law, you know, designed especially for Nazarbayev and his family. But we still have, a, you know, legislation um, on the rule of president or on the institute of presidency. And according to this law, not only current president, but also all ex-presidents, they have immunity. So Nazarbayev himself uh, will have an immunity. His family will lose something, but we, we don't know yet what exactly they will lose, you know, because it's a lot of loops in, in legislation. It's a lot of, you know, unanswered questions um, so it was the first point and the second one we after after a year after january you know and because of previous 30 years we don't have a an independent so so sociological institutions or something you know 
um, that we can trust fully, that we can say, okay, this, you know, this um, poll was taken in Kazakhstan and we can fully trust this poll, you know, we, 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 we understand that this is what people think, say, etc. Because of that, uh, because we don't have, we, we, we have few institutions who are trying to provide some polls and data, you know, um, but I didn't ever see, you know, last year anything related to your question, any independent polls, um, you know, like white organized throughout Kazakhstan where people answered this question, do Nazarbayev need to be, you know, need to have immunity or not? What is the, you know, legacy of Nazarbayev or something like that? I can tell only only based on, you know, my conversations with people or conversations of our journalists to, to the people, you know, around the country because we travel a lot. And the, the general, you know, the general perception of Nazarbayev changed not last year, not last January, but few years ago, you know, and it's very, very negative at the moment around the country in a very different groups of population, you know, not only inside like, you know, like ordinary people or poor people or youth people from the city centers, you know, who are traditionally um, very opposed to the opposed to the government. But, you know, through elites, through business people, they all are extremely negative toward the, not only Nazarbayev, but also his family and his legacy, you know, because the, the strongman lost the momentum when he needed to leave his office. It was very obvious. It was very clear. And because of that, we got what, what we got um, last year. You know, he, he concentrated power. He concentrated money. His family owned the country, you know, for years. And because of that, we had a, we had a bloody January last year because people were not able to see this anymore, you know. And because of that, you know, because we saw some actions, you know, against the family. But I totally agree with Ambassador Courtney. Nazarbayev himself and his relatives, his close circle, they still have a lot of power. But because we saw some actions against the family last year, I know that people quite happy with, with you know, some actions against uh, Nazarbayev himself and his relatives. But if, if we will, you know, go to the streets and ask people, do Tokayev and his administration, you know, or next government of Kazakhstan need to do more, need to investigate Nazarbayev and his relatives, need to, you know, return assets that they very different ways, you know, um, took from the country or inside the country. Of course, the answer will be yes, because people are demanding, you know, this family uh, be investigated and being stripped from the power. Great. Thank you. And also thanks for making the distinction between the, uh, the uh, law on the, on the president and his immunity and the law on the first president and the fact that you could still cancel that and strip the family anyway. 
of the immunity it enjoys under that. And Igorim, I'm going to ask you that, you know, the same question with you, you were just in Kazakhstan, you're speaking with people in Kazakhstan all the time. Uh, what, what's their attitude toward the process against the Nazarbayevs? Are, are people angry that they haven't gone further than they've gone? Or are they satisfied that at least there seems to be some some small level of accounting being demanded from Nazarbayev and his cronies? Uh, you know, I had quite a short trip uh, back home to Almaty, but uh, the people I've talked to were not mainly political activists or some uh, people who are um, keeping up to date with politics, uh, just regular people, some friends, relatives. And it seems like the majority of them kind of just want to forget what happened in January. And it's kind of standard apolitical attitude again, even though in January we have seen this uh, peak of what this apolitical attitude can lead to uh, as a society. Um, I think that most of the people just go with the flow. Uh, They think that uh, they cannot decide much in in the politics uh, because, as we can see, Tokayev has uh, solidified uh, the power in the last year after January events, and um, we see continuous authoritarianism in Kazakhstan, and there is still a lot of restrictions uh, on the freedom of assembly, freedom of expression, media freedom, uh, political freedoms, and uh, people just, yeah, they just uh, try to process these things um, silently uh, among themselves, but the majority of them just go as uh, nothing happened, and they continue to leave um, as January events didn't actually happen. And, uh, you know, when I was in Almaty, I was actually surprised to see how quickly Almaty has been restored um all the buildings have been built um and uh, the the ones that were uh damaged um and it it looks prettier the only thing that we have not touched yet is um are those uh, buildings in administration in the the republic square and uh yeah i think that people just want to um live their lives and again not be involved in politics and uh, returning to your question uh, about Nazarbayev, I think some people uh, are still loyal, not loyal, but they still think that Nazarbayev has um, done a lot of uh, positive things in Kazakhstan, especially in the early years of independence. But they also think that um, in the last couple of years when he should have left, he didn't. And uh, that's why we have we are now witnessing all these problems that have been accumulating for decades, they're being exposed in various areas, whether it's economy of the country, politics or society even, and all these uh, different levels of injustice, inequality, um, lack of proper education in some parts, or a lack of even language issues, all these things that have been kind of uh, shut down, where, where people were not allowed to talk publicly about it. Now people start to uh, discuss this publicly. And I think some of the people that I know, they just starting to question what is the direction that Kazakhstan is going to, uh, why, uh, for example, Tokayev is meeting with Putin while also uh, not um, approving the invasion of Ukraine. Uh, Why uh, do we have even 
Russian-speaking schools. Some people say that I I was surprised to hear from some people because they studied in Russian schools, they uh, speak Russian, they write in Russian, but they also question these kind of things that are related to the current invasion of Ukraine. So there are a lot of processes going on at the same time in society. And yeah, it's it's just the beginning. And as Vyacheslav um, rightly mentioned, it didn't start just last year. It started a few years ago. And uh, the peak was when Nazarbayev resigned in 2019 uh, and when people had hoped that something would change. But it's we're still hoping that something will change, let's say. Okay, thank you. Um... And we're going to get into that in the second half of the show. So thank you. It was a good place to leave off. But we are at the halfway point in our discussion. So it is time for me to remind that this is the Medjley's podcast, Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Benier, host of the Medjley's podcast and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. Uh, we're talking about the anniversary of the bloody January events in Kazakhstan uh, last year. And joining me for this discussion are Vyacheslav Abramov, the founder of Vlas.kz news outlet in Kazakhstan, Igorim Tolikhanova, freelance journalist from Kazakhstan and co-host of Eurasia Net's Eurasia Chat podcast, and William Courtney, former U.S. ambassador to Kazakhstan and currently adjunct senior fellow at the Washington-based RAND Corporation. And Igorim, I'm going to come back to you right away. Takayev said... This is new Kazakhstan. This was the whole thing. We were going to, he, he called for the con- amendments to the constitution. We've seen a snap presidential election. This is all part of him creating what he calls new Kazakhstan. Do you see anything new about Kazakhstan? Well, Tokayev and his administration, as well as uh, different uh, deputies and politicians in Kazakhstan, live in their own parallel, parallel reality. Whatever they say is not the case, what is happening in society and is not their reality, reflection of reality. Tokayev has been saying a lot about new law on public assemblies, uh, political reforms after Nazarbayev resigned, and then um, the snap presidential elections, another political reforms, and, and new Kazakhstan, and new uh, Nurotan party called Amanat. Fundamentally, there were no changes that would fundamentally change the whole structure, the political structure, or improve the lives uh, of the people. Yes, there are some positive things, uh, such as appointment of new uh, young people, like the one that um, the Ministry of Ecology uh, has been recently appointed, a young woman who has her PhD in, uh, from Japanese university and worked in UN sector. And um, this is a positive change, um, but it's just a drop in the ocean and I'm not sure how big of a difference it will make in this whole ocean of, let's say, turbulence and problems that Kazakhstan is facing, not just internally, but also geopolitically, externally, let's say. I personally, as a citizen of Kazakhstan, I would want some bolder actions from the government, uh, some more clarity, because there is a lot of ambiguity. It's not clear. Yeah, we all say about this multi-vectoral policy, that we're friends with everyone, but you can't be friends with everyone all the time if some of the fundamental values are not respected. And when you say that you respect these values, but you also become friends with someone who doesn't respect these values, to me, it's it's kind of a signal that it's uh, insincere. And um, of course, I understand it's all the game to keep your yourself safe 
all the time in Kazakhstan between squeeze between Russia and China. But I think it's it's getting to a point when people want some clarity, uh, some direction, and some understanding of what this administration is doing and what it wants to do, and not just saying that this is a reality that is already here, but what is actually it leading to, which reality it's leading to country. So, uh, yeah, that's my point. Okay, uh, great. Thank you. And we're going to move over to foreign policy in just a second. But but before we do, Slava, I'm going to give you one chance to comment on what you, tell me what you see that's new about new and then you're free to talk about foreign policy after that too. But domestically, what's new about New Kazakhstan? Anything? I can give you a very short answer. No, nothing new in uh, in the New Kazakhstan. You know, because you cannot have a new country built by old people from who you know had who have been in power for so long. You know, they all all the people who are right now. You know, these in this. You know program on, on, on transformation of the country, according to Tokayev. They all were involved in, in all previous, you know, not only reforms and changes in the countries, in the country, but also in the repressions, you know, against civil society and journalists and activists. They were involved in many, many actions, you know, that they need to, first of all, you know, be investigated for, and then if court will clear their path, will be able to do something good for the country. Because what they did in previous 30 years was obviously not very good for the country. So I don't see a lot of, you know, positive changes. I see some, of course, because we we see that, you know, not only Tokayev himself, but people around him, they're trying to, you know, pretend and have this image of, people who are reforming the country. But unfortunately, in reality, it's not a lot of changes. And in some fields and some areas, it's no changes at all. Or we have even worse situation than we had before. Okay, uh, thank you. Ambassador Courtney, let's get to you. Um, you know, Because I want to talk a little bit about the foreign policy changes in Kazakhstan. Now, some of these have clearly been forced on Kazakhstan because of the situation of Russia's war in Ukraine. Uh, it, it, it caused Kazakhstan and, and a lot of countries to, to reevaluate their relationship with Russia and, and kind of redirect a lot of their foreign policy. You know, you know admittedly, Takayev, this, this is, should be his forte. He's got the foreign affairs background to do this kind of stuff. Has he, has he successfully guided Kazakhstan through very turbulent waters, so to speak, uh, of, uh, you know, the immediate foreign foreign policy concerns for Kazakhstan? Uh, Bruce, President Takayev has, in fact, uh, made uh, some important progress. Uh, you'll recall that uh, in the January events, he invited in uh, Russian or CIS troops to help stabilize the situation. You know, of course, that was unpopular in Kazakhstan. And so, Takayev has since then been trying to pull back, if you will, saying explicitly that Ukraine did not support the war in, uh, I'm sorry, Kazakhstan did not support the war in uh, Ukraine. Uh, Kazakhstan would not recognize uh, Donetsk or Luhansk uh, People's Republics, not supporting uh, Russia in some of the UN uh, activities, UN resolutions. So that's been a helpful step by Kazakhstan to 
enhance some of the integrity of its multi-vector foreign policy. But multi-vector foreign policy has never been uh, equal vectors in all directions. Of course, Russia, China are much more important than the Western vector, for example. So I think there's some possibility for further progress. Now, one thing that should be important for Kazakhstan, as we've seen in the Ukraine war, the Ukrainians with a lot of NATO training uh, in, over the last decade have learned how to fight in more decentralized uh, and more agile ways. With a number of Russian uh, hardliners, if you will, making ominous threats toward Kazakhstan, uh, it might be helpful for uh, some of our NATO allies to work more closely with Kazakhstan to help train its troops to fight more effectively. Uh, this doesn't have to be a, a high-profile activity. It wasn't uh, in training the Ukrainian troops. But it will be important for Kazakhstan now to think about ways to enhance deterrence against any potential Russian aggression. Now, a Russian loss in Ukraine is probably one of the most helpful things for Kazakhstan to reduce uh, threats against it. But still, at the same time, uh, it's probably uh, useful for Kazakhstanis to think about how to train their troops to fight more effectively in the event that Russia does try to seize some of the uh, oblasts, the northern oblasts or uh, other oblasts in Kazakhstan. So I think there's an opportunity here for Kazakhstan's foreign policy to strengthen the Western vector uh, here if the Western countries are willing to cooperate with Kazakhstan in uh, helping enhance its military capability. Great. Thank you. And, and this is a good point, kind of segue back a little bit into domestic politics. Um, Slava, can you tell me how much does Takayev's handling of the situation, the relationship with Russia? I mean, uh, you know, and Ambassador Cordy mentioned that there have been Russian officials who have made specific threats against Kazakh territory. Is, is Takayev benefiting from this to some extent? Is it buying him some extra time uh, where, you know, or extra patience from the people because they think he's handling the situation with Russia adequately? You know, it's um, it's hard to say what is the perception of the population in general, but, you know, I've talked with a lot of people and it's kind of my own opinion that it's it's not the, you know, bad moment for us to have a the guy who is a diplomat as a leader of the country, to be honest, you know, in this situation, because it's, uh, it's very, very clear that he's trying to balance... Uh, between very, very powerful players and between being inside very, very difficult situation. Because we see and we understand that Russia is trying to pressure Kazakhstan all the time in very different ways, you know. And I believe it's an explanation of why Tokayev and Putin meet each other and talk to each other so many times. Last year, they did it more than 20 times, you know. They... They met in, in very different places, you know, around post-Soviet countries, of course, because uh, Mr. Putin is not welcomed anywhere in the world else. But, um, you know, they met one-on-one uh, -on -one many times. They talked by, by phone many, many times. And I believe it was a lot of attempts, you know, not only from Putin himself, but from Russian officials in a different ways, you know, including some 
public threads and some public posts and uh, comments that they are making to you know to force Kazakhstan to recognize these these two two quasi states you know that Russia control in Ukraine or you know to to support the war in general and the 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 fact that Tokayev didn't do that is a good news for for us here you know because um, I do believe that the, in general Kazakh society will never forgive forgive to anyone including Tokayev if it will be a full support of the war or something like that but at the same time Kazakh society understand that it's not an easy way you know to handle this situation and it's some strange steps you know including you know some votes in in UN as an example you know when Kazakhstan did not support the resolution asking Russia to leave Ukrainian territory and at the same time it's some statements by Tokayev including statements in the same room with with Putin when Tokayev denied to recognize these republics you know it's a mix uh, feelings here about what's going on with our relations with Russia and then at the same time you know it's very very clear for for the society here and I really hope and I'm saying it you know all the time since February the end of February last year. I really hope that Kazakh government understand that we need to find the solutions to not being so dependent on Russia on 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 you know on, on every level including economy. And um, because government is trying to find some solutions and it's it's clear we see it. I believe people in the government, including you know the the, the the highest level officials, they all understand that and they are working with on on that because no matter how fast Ukraine will win, you know our dependency on 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 Russia in in military, in economy, in trade, even in the in the corridors for our oil and gas. It, it makes no sense. We need to we need to work on that and we need to find a way to be less dependent on, on this neighbor. Of course, we will forever be neighbors, you know, but we can be much more independent. And the last year showed showed it. And I I really hope that it will be it will be one of the results for Kazakhstan of of this war of this situation in general. Okay, uh, thank you. I get in. You know, with, with any candidate, with any leader, there's some things you like about him and some things you don't like about him. You know, you've already said that his domestic reforms so far haven't gone anywhere. But the people you talk to, or you yourself, uh, you know, his, his foreign policy, how is that rating in Kazakhstan? I mean, do people that you know appreciate the fact that he, the stance that he's taken on Russia, are they satisfied with that? I agree with uh, previous speakers that, uh, of course, Everyone, it's clear, not just inside the country, but outside that it's a very difficult and unpredictable situation Kazakhstan is in. And it is um, obvious that Tokayev as a top diplomat is in his, um, let's say, best shape to navigate this uh, very difficult reality. But also I, I came to some conclusion, it's just my own personal observation, that in terms of foreign policy and connection to domestic domestic situation, I have uh, talked to some people 
who are also openly pro-Russian and they watch R- Russian uh, TV and they, uh, like in Kazakhstan, there are a lot of people who were uh, fleeing mobilization from uh, like Russian people, right? And uh, in Europe, for example, it's vice versa. There are a lot of Ukrainians. And in Kazakhstan, one person even said we have refugees from Russia, not from Ukraine. And I just noticed this kind of, I don't know if it's a trend or tendency, but a lot of people are from the ones that I've talked to. They uh, may not publicly say that they support war, but they support, for example, Putin. And they do believe that uh, Ukraine is a Nazi country or something like that. And um, I know from some circle of uh, some of my acquaintances that their parents, for example, even after the invasion, they decided to move to Russia. And um, there is this kind of awkward situation in which this person has their parents in a different country, but this person identifies themselves as a Kazakhstani and has Kazakhstani identity, but their parents have kind of different identities. So this is another process that is going on currently in Kazakhstan in terms of de-Sovietization, decolonization, let's call it, where people are trying to understand who are they as a person, as a, I don't know, belonging to a certain state, to certain culture. And yeah, and there are also changes culturally and the attitude towards Russia and what it brought as a Soviet legacy. So uh, yeah, a lot of processes going on. And I think each each person uh, in their head also kind of trying to make sense of what is there for them. And I think that that's why maybe there is a lot of confusion everywhere and a lot of ambiguity and not so clear what what is the exact direction in terms of where authorities are going, in terms of what society is as a one, because there are different parts of society that have different opinions on different fundamental things. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a very complicated country, let's say. Okay, uh, great. Thank you. Um, well, we're getting close to the end of the program. And uh, I'm going to give you all a chance to say anything that you thought uh, we didn't cover that you wanted to, to comment on. Um, but also with, with a mention that after last year's events finally settled down, there were several people who had said they thought that it was that was only the first time that was going to happen, that if things didn't change, the, the same things that happened last January would happen in Kazakhstan again. Uh, and and possibly actually overthrow the government the next time around. So w- with that in mind, you know, where do you think, where should, Kazakhstan, not so much where should Kazakhstan be going, but where is the process, the progress or lack of progress? Uh, how long can that situation keep going before we end up back where we were in January? Uh, and I'll start with Slava. It's it's a very tough question, Bruce. Uh, to be honest, I I have no answer. I have no idea how how long it can take for some people in um, Europe, you know, around the the current president to understand that because it's clear for you, it's clear for me, it's clear for our friends who are right now here, and I'm pretty sure it's clear for many many other people. But unfortunately. I have a feeling that it's not fully clear for some people in the government, you know, because we saw it 
during last years of Nazarbayev, he was not really in contact with reality. You know, he made some strange statements. He made some really strange, you know, comments about economy, about, uh, you know, poor people, about different things. And unfortunately, you know, what we, we see in Kazakhstan right now, yes, people in power are smarter. And um, their statements may be not that stupid, but they're trying to, you know, run away from reality. They are trying to run away from real reforms and real changes that Kazakhstan definitely needs to, to have, you know, to improve the situation in many, many areas, including not only like politics, but also economy and you know, social situation and social justice and many, many other things, you know. So I really hope that, because unfortunately, you know, we are, we are still an autocratic country and we still cannot expect that, you know, we, we can have a people's movement or grassroots movement, you know, that will just make a great statement or, you know, just just say that the society have this wish and then government will do some steps. Unfortunately, we cannot expect something like that, you know, because we still have very, very repressive legislation. We still have, we, we saw a lot, a lot of actions against civil society and activists last year since, since January events, since bloody January. So we cannot expect, you know, these you know, formation or changes of the country from the from the grassroots, from the people, you know, we unfortunately still can have it only from the top, from the government. So my understanding, you know, we need to we need to talk more about that. We need to, you know, say out loud that this country is demanding changes, demanding reforms. And it was a lot of hopes um, on Tokayev after Nazarbayev's resignation. And it, it was very clear that people are expecting some positive changes from, from the new president, from, from his administration. I think that he is losing this time. I think that the part of the society have a lot of questions toward his actions, not only during January last year, but also before and after that. And it will be more and more questions. It will be more and more unanswered questions. And I really hope that really soon people in the government will understand that they need to address these questions. They need to change their attitude. They need to work with civil society. They need to not play games, you know, that they're reformists, you know, that they're doing reforms, but they need to do a real job and i i still have a lot of hopes and i am optimist and i am talking to you from almaty it means that i believe in my country and i believe in the future of my country unfortunately in the last year i didn't see a lot of understanding of these things from the government and i hope it will change pretty soon okay thank you i got him uh, last comment from you. And also, do you think the Kazakh government has learned any lessons from what happened last year? 
I I don't know. I don't think they learned some big lessons from what happened in January last year. I think that as uh, Tokayev has uh, cemented his power this year, he's now trying to navigate it and trying to keep it under control. But there should be also an understanding that society has changed, if not dramatically, but it did change after January events and it is traumatized and it, it is still recovering and it will demand some answers and actions from the government. I think everything uh, that Vyacheslav said, I agree with. But I also wanted to note about the people themselves. Those from civil society, they're already doing their best. Um, they, they work with the, their, their big hearts trying to improve things in Kazakhstan. But I also uh, want to uh, notice uh, the people that are working now in the government, this young pool of people that are educated of, with Bolashak or other scholarship programs. Uh, I know some of them. And uh, there is some understanding on their side that they need to work harder and to improve uh, the situation because there are so many problems. But unfortunately, some of them, they're also trying to imitate what the... Um, the older generation is doing, trying to ignore the problems or say that all oh, these people, they just complain all the time and they don't offer any solutions and they don't see all these barriers to which they cannot politically participate in making decisions. So I hope that this younger generation uh, of uh, those who are involved in politics in Kazakhstan, they will also be more compassionate to their own people and that they will try to really get into the point of what people are uh, shouting about, even though they can shout about something like give us the money. But what is the very root of the problem? It's not that they just want money. It's that the social policy is not working properly. It's that the different other policies are not working in Kazakhstan. So I really hope that they will think through these uh, policies and they will make some fundamental changes that are in their hands that they can do within this current uh, very restricted authoritarian political system. Okay, thank you. And Ambassador Courtney, you were the U.S. ambassador in Kazakhstan in the early 1990s, which could best be described as a chaotic time for Kazakhstan, and yet they managed to salvage themselves and pull themselves out of it. Uh, you know, last year, another chaotic time at the start of the year. What do you think is important for Kazakhstan moving forward? So in the early 1990s, actually, it wasn't quite so chaotic. It was just beginning de novo, uh, if you will. And as uh, was mentioned earlier, uh, you know, President Nazarbayev actually did accomplish a lot in the early 1990s. But of course, as we all know, he stayed on uh, too long. For the current government, the promise of reform appears not to be credible. So as we see in so many other countries, real reforms only come from bottom-up political pressure. They don't come from top-down decisions by elites uh, to basically reduce their power and uh, share power with others. What we saw last January uh, was protests which started in one area spread quickly to the rest of the country. It's quite possible, maybe even likely, that this is going to happen again because ordinary people don't see their lives getting better. They see the government just as repressive uh, as before. 
And when it happens again, hopefully it won't be co-opted by uh, security forces and others who turn to violence. But the uh, spread of, uh, if you will, a color revolution uh, of the kind that you know, we've seen uh, in both Ukraine and uh, Georgia, in both cases, color revolutions led to more open societies uh, with uh, significant democratic gains, uh, fighting of corruption in Georgia after the Rose Revolution. Uh, Central Asia is not Ukraine or Georgia, uh, but the Kazakhstanis uh, have higher expectations now. They're well-educated. As Aguirre pointed out, there are a lot of Boloshak uh, graduates uh, back in Kazakhstan who have expectations that really are not being fulfilled in the kind of uh, repressive uh, situation now. So uh, unless the Tokayev government makes some genuine reforms, I think the situation is going to be vulnerable to another political or social uprising uh, at some point. So I believe Kazakhstan's Western friends are uh, very much encouraging reforms uh, because they think that uh, would be a way to to help improve conditions and reduce the risk of uh, protests that could turn violent. And that's a good way to end the program, too. And, and I'm sorry, we do have to end the the show, but this topic is so big, we could go on about this for days, actually, um, to try to, to try to recount everything that's been going on and where it's headed. Uh, but I want to give a, a thank you to Igarim and to Ambassador Courtney and to Vyacheslav for being on the program with me. And a big thank you to Nathan Shoemaker, our Medjulis podcast producer in Washington, D.C. And a reminder, you can subscribe to the Medjulis podcast or Central Asia and Focus newsletter by visiting Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's website at rfarl.org. Thank you very much, and we'll be back next week. <laughs>